Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names could be far more damaging. This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. We are up to the Torah portion of Bahar, and in this portion, several sections, several phrases that hopefully can help orient us to be more sensitive to others regarding our speech and other aspects of our interpersonal uh, interplay with others. We have a prohibition, actually two prohibitions in the portion, very, very similar wording that relate to what is called um, in Hebrew, al-sonu or lo-sonu or onna, which is often translated as harassment or oppression. Do not harass the other. One of those phrases is within the context of an exchange, of a financial exchange, of a purchase. If I am selling something to you or I'm buying something from you, I am commanded by the Torah to avoid overcharging or underpaying. Without getting too involved today in the technicals of this, but if there is a rather recognized fair market value and I bump up the price, or there's a fairly recognized market value and I maneuver to pay far less than that price, that could fall into this category of a biblical prohibition of oppressing, of harassing the other by manipulating that I now either get the product or cash at a rate that is not really fair and is not creating a healthy society where people are constantly trying to undercut or price gouge and cause the other party to lose out in this process. We're not going to focus on that particular issue of that financial harassment, but on the parallel, just after the section in the Torah where it commands us to avoid this harassment, the Torah commands us again to avoid harassment. Lo sonu, do not harass the other. Well, we were already told not to harass in that earlier verse. Rashi comments, this second lo sonu is addressing with words, onas devarim, to cause a person frustration, angst, pain through our words. And for example, says Rashi, to draw attention to something about this person's earlier life. Remember back then when you used to X, Y, or Z, whatever you fill in the blank with, that you know he or she would rather not be uh, highlighted right now. They're, and it's not an issue that you are necessarily ruining their new job uh, prospects or causing them any type of social damage or financial disruption, but simply the fact they don't like hearing about that. Drawing attention to a behavior that he or she did or didn't do, as would either be, again, appropriate or inappropriate, something, remember when you would never help with this project, remember when you would always fail, remember when you would be, whatever that is, that they do not want to be hearing about right now, Assuming that I right now have no particular benefit in bringing this matter up to their attention, I'm not trying to assist them with protecting them from failing again in the future. If there is no significant benefit in addressing this right now, why mention it? You're simply causing this person distress that is unnecessary and that is harassment. And there is a Torah prohibition of al-sanu, of to not be mentioning this. There's a uh, fascinating comment about an instrument 
that is called the navel. Navel is actually some debate exactly what it is. Some translate it as a harp, something within the violin world. Whatever this navel is, the Talmud, I believe in the Jerusalem Talmud, describes that it's called the navel because the sound of this instrument was so beautiful. It was such a perfect instrument that it brought nivala, it brought a sense of destruction to other instruments. Nivala is a sense, literally a carcass with something is dead. Relative to this instrument, everything else was just dead. Nothing else was of great value when you were playing this particular instrument. And it's called the navel because it led to the degree that the other instruments were treated. They, they were kind of deflated, degraded vis-a-vis this instrument. And the commentaries ask that grammatically, if this is causing something else to be navel, it's causing something else to be seen as lowly, as unnecessary, oh, you're just a petty instrument compared to this wonderful navel, then the grammar would have this be the minavel. It's the thing that causes the other to be treated as the navel. Navel itself sounds like we're calling this, let's call it a harp, we're calling this harp the dead instrument, the carcass instrument, the degraded and lowly instrument, but that's not really the case. This is the one that makes renders the others into their state of being degraded and devalued. Let me explain that when you cause others to be seen as petty, that is ultimately a pettiness. Now, again, we're not blaming this instrument, but conceptually, we're saying that if you push others down, and fascinatingly over here, not not even because of what you are drawing to in terms of focusing on their weaknesses, when you have great talent, and you, rather than help boost others up with that talent, rather than helping share that talent, rather than helping encourage others, when you make sure you kind of stand above them and you rise above them so that you stand out and everybody else feels rather meek in your presence, that's being like the naval instrument to the others. And it gives a title of naval to the instrument. It gives a title of you are degraded. You are petty. If you are one that makes petty, you make others meek and petty. You make others all seem lowly. And it's a, a fascinating extension of this idea of lo sonu. Do not cause others affliction. Do not harass them. Do not oppress them. Don't put them down. Don't bring them back to their lowly state. Don't deflate them. Don't even do that by how you portray yourself and how you carry yourself among them. And number one, not to be bringing to attention elements about the other that deflate him or her. And number two, not to maintain yourself with an air, with a, a sense of elation and elevation that pushes others down. Now, sometimes you need to play the role of the superior, the boss, the mentor. But even then, I think if you look through life of those mentors and teachers and bosses that you really liked, really appreciated, very often they were the ones that managed to be constantly pulling you up rather than reminding you that they are up there and you just are not. The ones who helped you climb the ladder rather than the ones who reminded you that they were at the peak and the pinnacle while you were at the base. So don't do that to the other. What what you found from those hopefully very rare experiences of someone who was to be mentoring you or supervising you or somehow your superior and who was holding you down, was making you feel down and lowly, don't mimic that. Mimic the ones that 
help pull others up. That's one message in the al-sanu, lo-sanu, of again, not being taunting to the other, not drawing attention to the past, certainly not causing, calling a name or a nickname that highlights some element of that person's weakness or meekness, even if it's simply addressing his something that is back in their history of a weakness or a meekness or a loneliness or a pettiness that has them currently feel somewhat deflated. Steer away from such talk. Find talk that builds the person up. Steer away from errors and attitudes and behaviors that push others down. Rather, find ways to pull them up. In a parallel, within the Parsha, we have the commandment when it comes to someone who has a Jewish servant working for him, where the text describes that the relationship must be one where he is imach, he is with you. And the commentaries describe that when you have this person who is working for you, he is currently locked in, and with, again, not in the technicalities right now, but the Jewish slave or servant generally for multiple years, that he, or sometimes she, will be working as your subordinate in your home, on your field, in your factory, and you call the shots, you dictate the routine with fairness. The Torah is very specific about not causing them un- any undue stress and not talking difficult uh, labor their way just for the sake of uh, keeping them busy. But when you are dealing with an issue of how they are seen in your midst, it has to be mach that they are with you. So much so that if you have, the example given by the sages, you have one pillow available. And you could use it for yourself to sleep on that pillow tonight or provide it to this servant. Now, again, in a typical situation, probably pretty rare that that's the exact circumstance today, but you can have parallels to this. You're out, you went on a, 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 a trip together, a camping trip. He's helping you in this camping trip. And it turns out there's one sleeping bag available. There's one pillow available. You're in a situation, or again, pull it back into other contexts. The fact is you have several chairs that are all very uncomfortable in one nice, comfortable chair. Who gets that pillow? Who gets the comfortable chair? The Evid, that servant. That halacha is contrasted with the fact that when it comes to the general mitzvah of Yehavta love your neighbor like yourself, you're not obligated to give away all of your articles to all of your peers, all of your friends who lack that article. There's no halacha that when you buy yourself a new car, you must simultaneously buy one for everybody else or share the new car with the others. You may, you're allowed to have the newest car on the block and not obligated through the mitzvah of loving your neighbor like yourself to see to it that, oh, there's only one new car, I need to share that with others. In explaining this distinction, again, when it comes to general interaction with society, you're obligated to provide for others, not to cause anybody distress. You don't have to share your pillow, your car, your comfortable chair with everybody who enters your home or your zone. Yet the servant you must do so. Commentaries share a fascinating perspective. Uh, quoting over from Rebel Yehu Lapian. Imagine I've come to your home. I'm a guest in your home. You're sitting in a more comfortable chair than me. Okay. <laughs> you're the host. You get the more comfortable chair. But imagine I'm in, in your home and I have any reason to suspect that if you, you view me as a second-class citizen. You view me as a rather insignificant person relative to yourself. And then when I get to your home, 
you move the chairs around so that I end up with an uncomfortable chair and you with the comfortable chair. Now, whereas I should simply say, it's your home, your chair, what's up with that? No, no problems, no concerns. But since you know that I have reason to suspect that you are viewing me as second rate, you have to worry that I may really be thinking, oh, this is just a reminder. That's the proof all along that he really doesn't fully respect me. Imagine, again, I am in a situation where I am trying to now evaluate what is my worth in this society. How, how should I view myself in this experience? I'm a new, I'm a servant. I've never been a servant before. I was sold into slavery again due to, let's say, the case in Arparsha. The person found himself destitute and he really has no way to put together the funds to take care of himself, to care of his family. So he shifts into this mode of being a servant for a block of years. His needs will be provided for. His family will also be provided food. And he may even be learning a good craft or trade or how to be more uh, of significant benefit in other realms. When he leaves here, he can take those talents over and hopefully take care of for himself. And now in this mode, he discovers that the one pillow doesn't go to me. The comfortable couch, that's not for me. Easy to imagine that that Evid, that servant, in trying to evaluate who am I in this setting, how am I viewed? Oh, I really am the second-class citizen. I'm really being viewed as petty. I'm being viewed as just property. And since that's not the case, and we should not let him think that's the case, in this situation, for you, the host, for you, the homeowner, for you, the person who is in control, and you have the upper hand over here, for you to provide him that pillow, to give him that couch, is the opportunity to bolster him and have him feel that he's back to being a mensch. I'm back to being an equal. I'm back to being, okay, I'm not an equal that I call the shots. I don't set the schedule, but I'm still not this man's property. I'm not this second-class citizen. So in that context, be attentive to the fact then in this context, this is not just a guest in your home. Be attentive to the fact that this is a person who's grappling with where am I on this in the hierarchy of society and value that in making the decision about who gets that pillow. There can be parallels. We don't have that situation today of a servant, but sometimes it's the new son or daughter-in-law. Sometimes it's the mother-in-law. Sometimes it's somebody who's coming over and how am I going to be treated in this home? And it's an issue of, I don't know, which type of accommodations come my way or the other person's way? Are they treating their child different than me? It's an issue of a border in a home where there are also family members. Am I being treated as relatively equal? Again, it doesn't mean I'm in and all the family secrets, but are, are there conversations that happen that are constantly reminding me that I'm an outsider? Or am I being pulled into this to feel uncomfortable? Wherever somebody's new into environment, they're not the natural team. They're the new element of the team. We can be extra sensitive to the fact that they are constantly trying to judge and evaluate. How do I fit in over here? How am I being treated over here? And can we go overboard and making sure that they really feel accepted? A fascinating story with which to close. Powerful. Tragic in terms of the context, but beautiful in terms of the outcome. Rav Kahanaman, the Panavish Rav, very significant in rebuilding in Israel after the Holocaust, after he lost everything, 
personally during the Holocaust and built up much of what is now in the city of B'nai Brak today. Rav Kahneman, uh, I believe this was in 1942, when there was a large group of orphan children arriving in Israel. And there were no, there was no linens to be found, no bedding to be found, no pillows to be found. We're talking about a situation that people were living with the most basic, basic, basic living to start with. And now there's this large group of children coming in. And if Kahneman calls a gathering, I believe it was actually this time of year, in the spring of that year, because it's been right around now, about 79 years ago, he calls a gathering and he tells this whole community that's gathered together, we have this situation where the Torah says to the owner of this servant, of the slave, give up your pillow to him. And he addressed this issue, this need for him to give up the pillow a little bit differently than we've commented upon so far by asking the question, wait a minute, if it's only one pillow, and generally there's no law that I need to give up everything to the other, so why do I give it up to this servant? He answered the question as follows. We expect the master to know, I've pulled the servant into my home. He's working in my home. He's in my environment. I am now in control. And he doesn't have a pillow. How can I sleep when I know that he is not comfortable? And what the Torah is doing by saying, give up the pillow, give it over to the servant, the Torah is saying, I want you to sleep comfortably, Mr. Master. And I know right now, your pillow is going to be less beneficial to your sleep than you're knowing that the evid, that the servant is sleeping well. So by telling you, give the pillow to the servant, I am facilitating your sleeping comfortably. Because I'm not expecting, says the Torah to the servant, to the, to the owner, to the master, I'm not expecting that you are a callous enough person to be dismissive of the fact that somebody in your home is not comfortable. So as such, I'm turning to you and I'm giving you this mitzvah to help facilitate your being able to sleep comfortably tonight when you know that this person who's new to your home has been provided the comfort your physical discomfort will fade away and you will now sleep comfortably said rabbi kahneman to his community i know there's very limited supplies but i know that none of you will be able to sleep tonight knowing that these orphan children are physically less comfortable than you and I know that you'll be tormented knowing the plight of these children and that they're physically discomfortable. And therefore, I want to provide you a good night's sleep by asking you to turn your pillows over to these children. They describe that this is probably the most successful pillow fundraising drive in history. Everybody came back with their linens, with their pillows, and provided for these children. And I'm hopeful that those people all slept a little bit better that night, knowing that they had done that deed of welcoming these children who are coming from such, such extreme, distressful backgrounds into this new land, new language, new culture, new everything. And that they had facilitated these children's comfort would have given them their own comfort. So if we can take these messages to heart, be cautious about what we say to whom and how we say to whom and what we bring up about their past, what names we use that reflect different aspects either that they currently are not comfortable with or that are recalling elements that bothered them in the past or that will now disturb them to be bringing that back to attention. If we can be cautious about how we carry ourselves in the presence of others and what we remind them about, even when we you know, live thankfully very put together selves, if they're in a little more distressed, not showing that off, not boasting our 
success at their loss, not boasting our rank above them when it's feeling that they are pushed down, but rather finding ways to pull them up. And when dealing with others who may not be comfortable within our home, maybe trying to gauge how do they view me? How are they evaluating me? Am I really part of the family? Being cognizant of that and making decisions based on that and trying to be extra attentive to providing them that extra warmth and care. And if we can become the type of people who are actually in tune to the plight of others so that we can't sleep comfortably if they're not comfortable and we will be more comfortable abandoning, giving up some of the creature comforts to provide others with those very same luxuries. We're those type of people, again, even if it's not relevant in the exact parallels over here of the, of the pillow, but in terms of our own human sensitivity and uh, ability to be focused on other people's human dignity, we'll be the type of people who will be far more likely to excel in these regards and the type of people who will be far more likely to achieve our tachos.